Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show, the good, the bad and the ugly from this week in the NFL and we've got loads to get into including just how good the AFC is this week. We've got the Titans, we've got two a time, we've got Phil Rivers even lighting the league up on the bad side of things. Field goals instead of touchdowns, the Rams being uh, 0-2 against everyone that aren't in the NFC East and the Dallas Cowboys being basically dross. It's, it's as a 49ers fan, this is a great show from my perspective. We'll also bring you our likes, our dislikes, and our unsung heroes of the weeks. And we're joined again by Super Bowl head, winning head coach, Brian Billick. Joining me as always, or as often, we've got Gridiron editor Liam Blackburn. It feels a bit weird to stay still. Hey, buddy. Hi, mate. How you doing? Glad to be invited back. I feel a bit like those... Um... 80s strike replacement players who's coming and earn a veteran's minimum contract till the end of the year. Oh, that's the sort of money that Gridiron founder Matthew Sherry's <laughs> paying you, is it? <laughs> Absolutely. No comment. At least it's something. Matthew, how are you, buddy? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good, man. I'm very, very good. You are a man, now that we're recording this podcast in the middle of the week, instead of just doing like an immediate reaction or preview show, I feel like we're not getting the immediate post-Patriots loss wallow that we often get from Matthew Sherry. Are you feeling, how are you feeling after the weekend? Not too bad. I mean, I, you know, they've been dealt the worst hand so far by COVID, I think. It is what it is, as Bill Belichick would say. I've said, said repeatedly on this, this podcast over the start of the season that there is just going to be some fundamental unfairness to the season for some teams this year. Unfortunately, the Patriots have had that so far, you know. They've probably put the best five weeks together of a two and three team I've seen. I mean, they're a yard away from beating the Seahawks. They were in the game against Kansas City basically the whole way with their second and third string quarterbacks. And with Cam, probably would win that game. Practice once in about 16 days before the Denver game. And it showed up in everything on the field. And they were still right there at the end with a chance to win the game. So, you know, I think I think people underrated the Broncos. They were a very talented team offensively as well. So, yeah, I'm not, not too forced. I'd be more bothered next week if they have a week of practice and the Niners will be a tough game. Well, interesting one for me and you, but we'll see. In the probably deepest AFC we've had in the last two decades, somehow we're managing to talk about a Patriots team with a losing record again. I, I accept Colt as the host, I apologise. But that's how we get on to the good this week, because we do have an AFC right now who looks like it has five or six teams who could all deliver a Super Bowl run. And then beyond that, I'd argue another four or five who all look like potential playoff teams. It's deep as anything, and it's topped by two teams with... Other than the Seahawks, certainly in the AFC side, the only two teams who remain undefeated at this point in the season. They face off this coming weekend in that rescheduled game, the Titans and the Steelers. And let's start off with Tennessee. I'll come to you first, Liam. Are the Titans the best team in football through six weeks of the NFL? I think you could certainly make an argument for that. I, I guess we'll have a good idea after Sunday with that game against the Steelers, as you mentioned there. But I think the thing that's 
that's really impressed me this year is has been Ryan Tannehill's development again. Obviously, last year he came in and was fantastic, but I was just looking at his numbers earlier. They played five games this year and he's had four game-winning drives. You know, you, you associate Tennessee as being a, a Derrick Henry run-first team, good defence, getting short fields for Tannehill to work with. But the fact he's had four game-winning drives and three four-quarter comebacks suggests that he is playing as well as any quarterback in the league. And there has to be some some MVP buzz about him. You know, since he's come in, he's thrown 40 touchdowns and, and seven interceptions and He's playing as well as anybody in the NFL right now. Henry was averaging less than four yards a carry before last week. So as much as Derrick Henry had that big signature game against the Texans this week, it has very much been Ryan Tannehill's offense this year. And, and, you know, I think that's the step that Tennessee needed to take if you look at how the season ended last year. The season ended last year with Tannehill doing nothing in the playoffs. I mean, he, he even the game in Foxborough that they won, he made two really good throws at the end, but that was the Derrick Henry show. The game before was the Derrick Henry show as well. And then obviously we saw in the AFC title game that the offence just couldn't sustain drives long enough, but then also wasn't able to keep up with Kansas City. So he needed to take that next step. Now, his numbers were just the same last year, but I would say to Liam's point, it's still different because of those game-winning drives. You know, last year it was great and his play-action numbers were fantastic, but it was a Derrick Henry offence. And as much as we can look at some of the Derrick Henry players, like the 90-odd yard run and then the stiff arm on Josh Norman in the last two weeks, I would say that over the, the whole of the season so far, Tannehill has been their most important player. We'll be speaking with Coach Billick in a little while and we'll talk about just this. But it's fair to say that the Bill Belichick coaching tree, when you consider some of the other ones out there, hasn't had the level of success that maybe you would expect from the most successful uh, NFL coach, certainly in terms of championships of all time. Mike Vrabel is starting to look like maybe the guy that could uh, could continue the legacy, and not just in terms of how successful they are, but the decision in the fourth quarter to essentially go with 12 men on the field and then pretend like he was secretly angry about it when really what he was trying to do was stop the clock was a Belichickian moment of genius, Matthew. Yeah, it was. I mean, he's not part of the coaching tree, though, is the problem for Belichick. Like, he's a player. He'd never coached under Belichick, so... Do we now, not get to, I, have, I, I thought we'd still call that part of the tree, but because you... I mean, I, I, th- no. I think you kind of can. And, and also, there's so many links there, you know. He goes into Houston under Cronell, who was Belichick's D coordinator. He's learned his trade. Even Ohio... Was he at Ohio State under Evan Meyer? Yeah. You know, that was a Belichick connection. He gets on with Evan Meyer really well. I think Belichick has probably been quite influential in his career. But let's chalk this off now. My, my good of the week is the Mike Rabel trickery because it proves a point that I make repeatedly about having a proper head coach managing the game. If your head is buried in a play sheet, looking at a defensive call or an offensive call, that is the kind of little edges. And that's what a head coach should be doing. A head coach should implicitly trust his coordinators to execute the offensive and defensive game plan. And he should be managing the game. Now that might be saying to the defensive coordinator, well, you know, when we run cover two, they're exploiting it all the time to do something different but it should also be those little things. And it was it was brilliant. And, you know, he'll be disappointed that it's been picked up on because if the Patriots example is anything to go by, the league will outlaw that pretty soon. <laughs> so uh, we'll, let- see if, we'll see if he's the true head of Belichick because, frankly, when Paulian and the crew were on the competition committee, it would already have been outlawed by now <laughs> if, it was, if it was like early 2000s Patriots. 
let's just mention this game coming this weekend then, because they do go up against the Steelers, who absolutely waxed the Cleveland Browns this past weekend. The Steelers with the best run defense in football up until this point. But I think more interestingly than anything, they're blitzing on first and second down at a ridiculous rate. Almost two thirds of first and second downs the Steelers are bringing a blitz on. They're then not bringing a blitz on third down. I think they're blitzing less than 20% of the time on third downs. It's almost an inverse of what you'd expect from teams. And it's how that's going to play into both the running game for the Titans, but also for that play-action game as well. There have ne- there's rarely been a 6pm or actually a 5pm this week matchup. I've been more excited to dig deep and watch. Yeah, I mean, well, I was really excited about the Packers-Bucks game and that turned into a bit of a, a damp squib. <laughs> so I hope it lives up to the... Um to the bill and then just the, the point that you made as well there obviously um Devin Bush going out for the Steelers last week that's a, a massive blow to that that defense and it'll be interesting to see how they cope without him moving forward indeed let's talk about the depth in the AFC then uh, as we continue with our good points from this week because we've got the Ravens who haven't played well but are still five and one the Steelers we've mentioned the Titans we'll talk about the Bills a little bit in a short while I think but We've then got, I think, that out on the kind of outskirts of it, the you Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts. as well, who well, I think that's... are very much in the inskirts, Will. All right, they're in the inskirts. They're in the inskirts <laughs> now after this weekend because Philip Rivers finally turned up to match up with what we've been seeing from that defence and to match up with what we've been seeing on the other side of the ball. And the Colts, I mean, the Colts are like one of those teams who in another season in the AFC would be tipping as Super Bowl favourites, but right now it's pretty strong and pretty deep. Yeah, it's incredibly deep. I mean, you mentioned the Patriots. That's the thing that worries me ultimately, is whether a really good season of 9-7, and 10-6, and 11-5 and five even, could end up with you missing the playoffs. I mean, you look at it, and the Steelers and Ravens are nailed on. They're guaranteed to be in the playoffs. I think the Bills are probably nailed on. Then you've got Titans, Colts, potentially both nailed on together. It, it's, it, it just... And then the AFC West, where you've got the Chiefs who will make the playoffs and the Raiders who look really good. I've never seen it. It's amazing how it's flipped. You know, we all talked for years about the NFC. Lots of people said that the only reason the Patriots got to so many Super Bowls is because the AFC was weak, which, you know, ultimately they won a lot of them against NFC teams. So it doesn't work. But it's flipped completely. I look at the NFC and I I don't see any team I think the best team in the NFC might be the fifth best team in the AFC right now because I don't see any team that is bringing all of the pieces together. And I'm going to tell you the team who might be by the end of the season is the Buccaneers. When you pair the defence with an offence that's improving week to week under Brady, they're the team to watch for me in the NFC. But I think if you look at it, even the Seahawks, who I love, I love Russell Wilson, but they're so flawed because they've got one unit that is terrible. And can you look at any team in the NFC now and say... Outside of Tampa Bay, who have a chance to be that, that they're incredibly well-rounded and that they don't have a major weakness. And then can you do the same with the AFC? It's much more so with the AFC right now. And the thing is, you mentioned the Raiders. I've got outside of that kind of the five or six that I've named already as my kind of outskirts teams, the Patriots, who will come good. The Browns, who, yes, they had a bad showing this weekend, but... The play calling generally has been very good. The defense has been stepping up this year. It's We'll get into Baker Mayfield in a little while. The Raiders, and then I've also put the Broncos and the Dolphins. Both look like they could be playoff teams this year if things go the right way for them. And in Miami, we're getting to a time, boys. Now, it's been a funny debate over the last couple of days on social media since last night, since the uh, announcement was made. 
the suggestion from some that, well, you're winning with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why would you go away from that? But for me, if you go back right to when they started the tear down prior to the rebuild up until this point, if your final aim is to go and win a Super Bowl, you're doing everything in the right way. And for me, this is the right move as part of that, Liam. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously this season we haven't had the off-season and the pre-season. So if they were looking to bring two in earlier in the season, they haven't had that build-up time as you would do normally with a rookie quarterback. It's quite interesting in terms of, you know, a lot of times these rookie quarterbacks come in when they've not started the season, they come into bad situations and they're kind of firefighting at the time. Whereas two is coming in now to a team that's confident, they've won back-to-back games, looked really good. And he's also obviously coming off the bye, so he's got that extra preparation time as well. I think I think it makes complete sense, and it's it's a perfect situation in terms of Fitzpatrick is clearly someone who's not going to rock the boat. You know, he's he's very happy. We saw him doing the G and up the cried when Tua came in in the week. The only thing I, I sort of noticed on Twitter was Kurt Warner talking about when it happened to him in in two thousand and four, and obviously he was the Giants were five and four at the time in the playoff mix. They took him out and brought. Eli Manning in and went one and six down the stretch. So that just shows you how a sort of season can can flip if that's the case. But I think it's a, it's a great situation for two to come into. You'd lean towards trusting Miami at the moment as well. I mean, I, I can't think of many coaches who've done a better job in a season and a bit than Brian Flores. I thought he definitely could have been coach of the year last year. And you mentioned the Belichick tree. He's the one for me. And I said this when they give him the job. He's got a great combination of he's worked in personnel and he's worked in various areas of, of coaching. And he's just doing a great job. And, and you would trust him. I mean, I didn't think Fitzpatrick played very well last week. He was really good against the 49ers. But you could see some issues last week converting third downs and making those key plays. And, you know, they may be looking at it that they think the ceiling with Fitzpatrick is about where they're at right now, which over his career would be true. I mean, the, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's ceiling as a quarterback is eight and eight probably. Whereas they may look at three and three now and think actually with the way our defense is playing and the way, particularly the secondary, since they've brought Byron Jones in and Xavier and Howard, the way that's working, we might have a chance at the playoffs this year. And if they watch practice every day and look at tour and think he gives them more of a chance to make that happen, then it's absolutely the right move. It's obviously that thing of it being the bye week as well, giving you the more time to bed them in, as Liam was saying. And Dolphins fans have been projecting Tua to be the Dolphins starting quarterback since about the beginning of 2018. So the fact that we're now finally there, they've got to wait 12, 13 more days for it, but we are finally there for them. It's an exciting time to be a Dolphins fan, which you haven't been able to say a lot over the last 10 years or so, or probably even beyond that with the... with the Patriots in their division. And you combine it with the fact that I don't think they're going to go and win the Super Bowl this year, but they got four picks in the first two rounds next year, thanks to the Larry Tunsil trade. And those are looking like they're going to be high picks from Houston, even with the Romeo Cornell helping to turn things around a bit there. I, exciting, exciting times for them. I'm exciting gonna... times for the AFC East. I mean, we talked about how the AFC's flipped. You can shake your head, Liam, but you basically nailed on to get... Probably the best quarterback prospect since Luck Elway. Very much unless he turns you down, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> unless I mean, that... he goes full Manning on you. But if that if that doesn't happen, you know, you're looking at a situation where Belichick is desperately trying to win one without Brady and that storyline. The Bills, where Josh Allen, despite stepping back a bit, has has improved dramatically this year. I think we would say, and their coaching staff's done a great job so far. Obviously, the Dolphins, who we're talking about, and then potentially you know, the greatest quarterback prospect maybe ever coming into the to the basement team in that division. You, you're looking at the AFC East being 
probably the most interesting division in football over the next five years. The Bills is an interesting one. It's not on our list for this week and maybe we should save it. In fact, let's save it for a little bit later. We'll have it in our likes, dislikes and unsung heroes. Uh, what I'm going to do here, we're going to mix up the format a little bit because we went heavy on the AFC and the jet situation and variable, etc. with Brian Billick when I spoke to him yesterday. So let's hear now from Raven Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick in association with X-Tech Pads. And, uh, and this is a fun one. We've not seen each other for a couple of weeks. You've been in the middle of a move. Is that the new pads that we're seeing behind yes. us right now? Yes, we uh, we reestablished in Columbus where my uh, my daughter and my grandkids are, and I've uh, been starting my shows for the network. So I got myself set up here a little bit. So uh, so hopefully uh, things will begin to smooth out for me. I'm still knee deep in boxes, so it's not fun. <laughs> I know that feeling. We moved during lockdown as well. But what I am liking in particular for those watching on the video version is the placement of a Super Bowl yes. trophy just yes. behind your head. That's a strong, yes. strong decision. Staging has always been my strength. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Uh, look, there's lots to get into in the NFL from uh, a coaching perspective from this past week. Uh, but before we do so, we uh, you joined us a couple of weeks ago to talk about your new um, book on quarterbacking, on uh, finding that key player at that key position. And I feel like we might put a curse on Josh Allen with our praise for him. We did. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because when we last talked, he was on this unbelievable run. And remember, let's uh, as we talk about in the book, factor the biggest knock on josh allen coming out was the completion percentage and that's a big one that typically doesn't get better in the nfl when we last visited he was on a four-game run where he was better than 70 percent completion percentage 48 to 1 or 48 to 2 touchdown interception ratio and was riding high struggled a little bit last week had two interceptions and then this week obviously against a very good kansas city team really couldn't step up and, and carry that on so that that brings back into question for Josh Allen, who has been playing very, very well. But is he indeed going to be that franchise quarterback? Has he overcome consistently the lack of completion percentage that plagued him in college and in the first two years here in the NFL? Or were the last two weeks an aberration? And can he get back into that rhythm that we saw in the first four games of the season? I wanted to, from a coaching perspective, ask you about the situation currently going on in uh, New Jersey or New York. Bills fans don't like you calling it New York, uh, as I'm sure you're aware. But a lot of calls for Adam Gase to be removed from his job. Others claiming that, you know, keeping him there is almost helping them in, in the Trevor Lawrence stakes. I wanted to ask you about the idea of culture there and the idea of making a change mid-season and whether that might actually make New York a a more attractive landing spot come free agency in the draft? Well, this is always a tough one, yet we're coming up on that. We've already seen one, one, uh, two coaching changes, actually, when you're talking about in Atlanta and Dan Quinn, and now even uh, surprisingly in Houston, because where you had not only head coach, but general manager, Bill O'Brien. And for those, even, even by NFL standards, a little ahead of the curve. You might see this with Adam Gase. Again, let's look at the history. Adam Gase was in my, he was the quarterback whisperer, came out of Chicago, went to Miami, was going to mentor Ryan Tannehill, did not work out. Ryan Tannehill, not productive at all in Miami. He gets fired. He gets hired with the New York Jets to now mentor uh, Sam Darnold uh, and, and work his magic up there. The combination of the fact that Ryan Tannehill went on to Tennessee and is having a really great year, following up a phenomenal year last year, and the fact that Sam Darnold has not progressed at all. I think if not now, then eventually uh, there's going to have to be a change. Joe Douglas, who was with me in Baltimore, is the general manager. 
They liked Sam Darnold. He didn't draft him, but like you always do as a coach, you always look at the incoming class of quarterbacks because you never know when you're going to be in that position in free agency or you end up with another team. And that's exactly what Joe did with Sam Darnold. Uh, I think there's still a lot of questions about Sam Darnold, but by the end of the year, they're going to have to decide, depending upon where they're at, do they want to change gears and go after another quarterback, which would certainly propagate probably making a change of coach. Do they do that ahead of time so they can get a, you know, gin up, so to speak, in terms of the both the, the coach and the quarterback selection, if indeed they can get into the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes? There are a couple of um, names currently pinging around the NFL as kind of second time coaching opportunities. We've seen Raheem Morris taking over in Atlanta, a lot of play for for Todd Bowles right now and and we'll maybe get onto that in a moment do you think actually for Adam Gase a lot of the issues we're seeing can be related to similar problems that we saw in Miami as well and actually maybe going from one job to another rather than taking that year out taking stock learning from your mistakes and then going back do you think there's a there is a a school of thought for saying actually taking a year out as a coach is is a good thing Sure, it can be, uh, but these jobs jobs are hard to come by. And if one's available, you need to take it. And he did in, in New York. His problem in New York right now is the same as he was in Miami. He didn't have much of a supporting cast around the quarterback, uh, whether it was the receiving core, whether it's the offensive line. So, you know, that's a combination of it as well. It, that doesn't mean he's responsible, but he's going to be held accountable because at the end of the day, that's what happens with the head coach. You're going you're gonna to be held accountable for it all with the wins and losses. And uh, my guess is it's not going to bode well for Adam Gase in New York. What, what do you make for the calls for someone like Todd Bowles, who he saw put on a phenomenal game plan this past weekend against uh, Aaron Rodgers to, to see a chance at head coach next year? Could be. You know, he, he had that chance before, didn't turn out well, clearly. And, and when we get into that hiring and firing season, which is inevitable come January, and there'll be the predictable five or six, seven changes in head coaching position, you're going to draw from a number of different categories. You're going to take, you know, the hot offensive or defensive coordinator, the hot college head coach, or, or find a coach with more experience. And you tend to hire the opposite of what you just fired. So uh, teams that have maybe gone through the hot coordinators and it didn't turn out well, or tried the college head coach and it didn't turn out well, their l- most viable option may be to go to someone that's had head coaching experience in the NFL and is given that next chance. And Todd Bowles will certainly fit in that category. It's interesting because you mentioned the situation with Ryan Tannehill and, and Tennessee is obviously another place where there's some uh, hot candidates. Arthur Smith there is another one who's being talked up as a possible head coach for next year. When you're the head coach and you have a, a coordinator, a position coach who is being so heavily touted, how, how do you kind of handle that? How do you approach that? And knowing that there's every chance you're going to lose your, your guy who's really helping you out. Right. Well, you professionally, someone helped you in that same situation. So you have the kind of obligation to mentor and help them across this. By the same token, not only cognizant of the fact that you're going to lose a good coach, but you don't want it to be a distraction during the course of the season. Uh, my mentor, Denny Green, God rest his soul, did a phenomenal job as things were beginning to, to gin up about my potentially becoming a head coach. And you're anxious because I want to stay focused on the job at hand. We were a 15 and one Minnesota Viking team at the time. I didn't want to be the thing that cost us. I didn't want to lose my my focus on the job at hand. But this other opportunity is clearly out there, and you've got to prepare for it as well. So Denny did a great job of mentoring me and saying, tell you what, here's what we'll do. Friday, when the hay's in the barn, so to speak, and all the practices are done and the game plans are done, 
you and I'll sit down and we'll talk through the situation, what's going on, what you might do, what are some of the opportunities, who are the people involved. So that gave me an opportunity to not be anxious about, well, is Denny going to support me in this? How do I ask him a question without acting like my focus isn't where it should be, which is our existing team? He cut out a very defined time that I knew I was going to get to, and we could address those things. So it was a, it was a great way to approach it. It's interesting because I wonder, do you start to think about, okay, Arthur Smith is being hotly linked. Do you start looking at the other coaches in the building? I know there's been a lot of talk about Rob Dews, their running back coach, Pat O'Hara, the quarterback coaches, guys who might be coordinators in the future. Do you start to think to yourself, have a little eye on the job they're doing and start to think, you know, maybe I'll have a replacement in the building? Well, that's all part of it. And it's not just the coach on your field. Uh, that may have this opportunity, but other coaches, because it's a very transient profession. Everybody has interactions and relationships with everybody else. And if you have some high quality coaches, position coaches or coordinators that could become head coach, position coaches that could become coordinators, yes, you always have a ready list of three and four guys that you're ready to place into those positions, which means other people have that list as well. So one of the challenges of the existing team, I've had eight of my guys going to become head coaches, is you want to mentor them to help them go forward, but you also want to recognize, okay, I got some guys here that I want to protect that I don't want to lose to those potential coaches. So that's all part of the dynamic. We're left with three undefeated teams in the NFL now, and two of them go head-to-head on Sunday night in the Titans and the Steelers. I think with both, coaching can be highlighted as a, as a strong reason for why they've started the season so well. I know we're early in the week, but what do you see from that matchup on Sunday night? It's a mouthwatering one. It is. Pittsburgh has been really, really good. The defense and their takeaways and their sacks has been phenomenal. They look like the old Pittsburgh defense of old. And offensively, Ben Roethlisberger has done what Ben Roethlisberger does. He brings in a new group of receivers, elevates their level of play, and they've been spectacular. They've been balanced. And and he does it on – does anybody do more with fewer throws in a game than Ben Roethlisberger's 20 – you know, his typical cut line would be 17 of 25, 22 of 30. Yet it's for 350 yards and three touchdowns. Most guys have to be 40, 45 attempts to get those kind of numbers. So they've got great balance going. Tennessee, on the same, by the same token, boy, with Derrick Henry and that rushing off, they can just bludgeon you to death. Tannehill's doing a great job augmenting it with big plays down the field. It's kind of picked up where he left off from last year. So this is, this is going to be a great, you know, it's going to have to be earned. The physicality of, of the Tennessee offense and Derrick Henry against that really good physical defense of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And can the Tennessee defense keep Ben Roethlisberger contained in the pocket, not buying that extra time to get those big plays down the field? So it's going to be a great matchup. The final thing, and always appreciate your time, Coach. Thank you so much, is who do you maybe like as a bit of a dark horse out of the AFC? Are there any teams that have caught your eye in the last couple of weeks you think a bit of a surge coming from them? You know, Houston was a funny team. Obviously, they've kind of fallen by the wayside, but still a very good team uh, that's going to be heard from, not necessarily in terms of, of winning the league, but having an impact in terms of the teams they're playing. The Buffalo Bills, and again, we started to talk about Josh Allen. Is, is If Josh Allen can get back into that rhythm and show us he was the quarterback of the first four weeks, not the last two weeks, then they're going to be right there in the hunt of it as well. If not, and he stays on this course and shows he kind of is who we thought he was, you know, that's going to be a little bit different for them as well. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Coach. If you've not 
gone out and already bought it, go out and check out the Q Factor, the elusive search for the next great NFL quarterback, Coach Billick's uh, latest book. And the X-Tech X2 pads are available now in the UK. If you are playing American football, they are the very best you can find, ideal for really any skill position players with great movement and great protection as well. So thank you so much for your time, Coach. I look forward to okay, doing this again. All righty. Let's move on to the bad now. And, and before we get into a couple of quarterback situations, a couple of poor performances, we talked already a bit about the Patriots and about Denver as one of those possible outside teams in the AFC. Do we have some concern over the field goals instead of touchdown situation there? And, and actually offense is not finishing drives off, which appears to have been a problem across the league in the last couple of weeks. Not against New England. They're always great at red zone defence. It just is what they do, even when they give up. You know, I've seen some atrocious Patriots defences in the last 20 years that are great in the red zone. You know, Andrew Locke hadn't, hadn't practised much. I thought Denver's offence looked pretty decent for against a very, very good defence. You know, ultimately, you need to start punching one or two of those in. But also, there were two, two drops from the rookie tight end in the end zone that were good players by the DB, but certainly players that could have been made. So, in Denver's case... Not a massive issue. Generally, it's a huge issue. And, and I think it's, a, it's an issue to teams don't kind of realise enough. Certainly, the amount of times it's not just kicking the field goals. It's the ones where they go for 55-yard field goals as if, it's a, as if it's a nailed on thing instead of going for it on fourth and three when actually they, the odds would probably be in your favour to just try and convert. So, yeah, it's an interesting topic. And I think it's one that head coaches don't look at enough. But, yeah, in the case of Denver, it's, it's not a major one. What I would say about Denver is looking back at their schedule now to start the season, Titans, Steelers, Bucks with their first three games, that could legitimately be the three best teams in football. So, and they obviously lost all the injuries early on as well. They they appear to be getting it going now. Bradley Chubb's playing really well. But on your point about third downs, I mean, they're third last in um, third downs made and they're 0 for 4 on fourth down. So there's clearly a problem with sustaining drives that they kind of need yeah. to continue if they're going to be in the AFC wildcard pitch, as we've talked about. They're incredibly talented, though. I mean, I mean, Patrick is is really, really good, and and you see in the just watching a bit of the All Twenty Two, like Jerry Judy is the one who's not delivered yet massively of the of the rookie receivers, but the the teams are scheming against him already, and that's probably why you know Fan and other players are having such a good time of it at the moment. You think that they've got Colin Sutton on the sidelines, Von Miller on the sidelines. You know, there was the start about them having more cap room on IR than any team in the league. They're a very deep roster, actually, Denver. You, you know, if they, if Locke can be good, and he was very spotty in this game, they have a real chance to be very, very good, I think. I'm still not convinced. I'm still not fully on the Drew Locke train as of yet. But, uh, you know, Caelan Kayla would... Uh... Would have me hung for saying such things. So let's uh, let's move on and talk about um, the end of Minshew Mania because this is uh, very different from the playoff picture conversation. And you look at the first you know six games of his season in pure statistical, and you go seventeen hundred yards, sixty seven point five percent completion, eleven touchdowns, five interceptions. He leads the league in completions as we get to the end of week six. There are reasons that you would look at that and go, oh, that doesn't sound like he's having a bad year. It feels like week by week, it's breaking down more and more, despite the fact that they're getting a lot of garbage time stuff. You know, Keelan Cole getting 100 plus yards and a touchdown seemingly all on garbage time this weekend. And we now have Doug Marone saying that he will consider benching him if these struggles continue. So 
how much are the Jags in the uh, in the Trevor Lawrence race? And realistically, Gardner Minshew, I, I kind of feels like he's done enough to be the new Ryan Fitzpatrick, but maybe nothing more than that. Yeah, like Case Kadem, you know, those mm-hmm. guys who dotted around and mm-hmm. had bits of success in different spots is probably yeah, where he lands, yeah. I think. Just going back to, obviously, the, the point about his statistics and stuff. I mean, week one, when they beat the Colts, he was 19 for, for 20, under 200 yards passing. Since then, he's thrown over 40 times every single game. That is not what Jacksonville want to do. They yeah. don't want to be in a situation where Gardner Minshew is having to throw the ball 40 times a game. And a lot of that is because they are coming from behind. They do have some talented young pieces, but they definitely don't have the depth of other teams. You know, Josh Allen being out the last few weeks has been massive. Miles Jack being out. I mean, even the kicker's been out. So it's clearly not a a deep roster that can sustain the success. And they don't want to be in situations where Minshew's having to throw the ball 40 times a game. You know, he's third in attempts behind only Burrow and Ryan this year. And the, at the start of the season, that clearly wasn't the game plan. They just don't have any real elite talent to the Jacksonville. You know, like Miles Jack, I think, can be. Josh yeah. Allen is, but he's, he's not healthy at the moment. And, you know, they've got lots of guys, like LaVisca Chenault is going to be a really, really good player, but he's a rookie. He's, he's very raw. You know, he was injured a lot in his last year of college. So it's, it, it just isn't a very good roster right now. But it, it's not like the Jets where you look at it and say, sorry, Lee, you look at it and say, wow, this is a disgrace <laughs> of a roster. You can actually see there's young, there's young pieces there that will be good players. They're just not ready yet. Where's the veterans, like, you know, where Calais Campbell's gone now? Where are those guys that glue that whole thing together? I just don't really see it. Yeah, that's fair. And then the other thing we had on the bad list for this week was the performance of the Los Angeles Rams this past week. Now, I think that may be a little harsh on the quality of the performance from the San Francisco 49ers, but not so much the quality of the performance, but certainly the game plan. They are 0-2 against not the NFC East, and... I was going into the season pretty high on this Rams team, but they have real struggles on offense. They had real struggles on, on third down. Uh, they just didn't read. I, I know you have a lot of digs at Robert Salah's defense, Matthew Sherry, because of the level of talent he's had, but they did. They had just a few disguises this weekend and that was enough to completely throw Jared Goff. I mean, I don't think we should be negative about what the Rams are. Like they've been this, this is who Jared Goff is. No matter how good his numbers are against bad teams, if there's a defence that schemes it up correctly against him, you can make him look very ordinary. Because ultimately, he is very ordinary. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, he's very ordinary in a different way because he's incredibly accurate. But he's terrible at reading the field. He has probably the best quarterback schemer in the business with him. And that makes him statistically into a much better player than he is. But this is going to happen multiple times a season. And, and ultimately, I think it's the reason the Rams won't win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff as their quarterback, because you will come up against a team who can put a good game plan together. And it looks awful. When it, Goff is so weird, because when, he, when it's in rhythm, and that offense is in rhythm, it looks so easy. When it's difficult, it looks diabolical. Like, he looks like, he certainly doesn't look like a player who was once in the MVP race and people thought was a top five quarterback. And he isn't that, ultimately. And, and I'm not sure that he ever will be. I think McVeigh's doing a, just an incredible job with him generally. Yeah, I just do fear for them. Anytime they play a defensive coordinator who really knows the scheme, and obviously the 49ers do because they play them twice a year, they're going to run into problems because the scheme is hard to defend, but you can defend it. And if you can defend the first, first parts of every play, Goff struggles massively. 
the point that Matt made there at the end about sort of playing against teams you know well, this seemed like a classic example. I know that the 49ers beat him twice last year and it seems like a classic example of Shanahan and Salah knowing how to A, negate the uh, impact of Aaron Donald on the defensive side of things and B, how to get Goff out of a rhythm and make him do things that he doesn't want to do. And uh, yeah, that was a classic example. It's going to be interesting because you say four and two, but the only teams they've beaten are the NFC East. The next two games are the Bears and the Dolphins who are both in the playoff mix in either conference. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get on against them. There should be five and one though. I mean, they were robbed against the Bills. Completely robbed. You know, that pass interference call that would have won them the game. Flip side of that is I think the Cowboys were robbed in week one, weren't they? So probably four and two were in a different way. Let's move on to the ugly from this weekend. And let's talk about the really bad because Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys is an absolute omni-shambles. The performance on Monday night, and I would told Liam this earlier, that I um, I stayed up and watched both games in full. And Liam was legitimately astonished that I managed to get through to the end of the Cardinals-Cowboys game. It was dross. Just utter, utter dross in every phase of the game against the Cardinals team, which... I still don't think are that good. They did a lot of design runs and they did a lot of stuff that fooled a a bad Cowboys defense. But honestly, against a better team than the Cardinals, that performance, you would have seen 60 points put up. Yeah, it's It's, it's interesting you mentioned staying up there because I have notifications on my phone for Adam Schefter tweets and he retweeted the Falcons saying, you don't need to tweet us, we know what's going on, when it was 28 to 3. So I'm watching the game back in the morning thinking... (laughs) The comeback's on here. At some point, the Cowboys are going to come back. Just didn't happen. But it's indicative of bad coaching, really. You know, they lead the league in turnovers, 15 turnovers. I think it's three more than anyone else. There was the the stat that came up on the screen that they've given up 218 points through six games, which is the most since, like, the 1960s when Simon Clancy was in his heyday. (laughs) You enjoyed that, didn't you? A lot. They've got talent on that team, but you know the the alarm bells are ringing for me a couple of weeks ago when Xavier Woods came out and said, you know, it's impossible for anyone to give 100% effort on every play on defense. And that was talent. I mean, the Kenyon Drake touchdown at the end when Arizona were just basically trying to pick up a first down, there was people going through the motions and there's something philosophically wrong in Dallas at the minute. It's interesting because um, we then saw, and I posted this one in the uh, in the old WhatsApp group, but Jane Slater from uh, NFL Network, who's an excellent Cowboys beat reporter, said that essentially players initially bought into keeping their discontent internal, but now with things bit discontent, sorry, internal, but now they sit two and four. She's heard from two different players, one telling them that the coaching staff is totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. And another player that just said, they just aren't good at their jobs. When you consider that we were supposed to have a Mike McCarthy, you'd spent a year out learning analytics. He bought himself a nice new computer. He found some maths nerds and he was going to be a modern new coach. He was essentially trying to suggest that he was going to come back in and be a Sean McVay type, but with the old head coaching mentality and the coaching job there across the board has been, again, diabolical. I think we should open the Twitter thing to just people to give suggestions of what Mike McCarthy really did in his year off, because it certainly isn't <laughs> what he sold, the dream that he sold to the journalists he invited into his home that he turned into this amazing football boot camp where he was looking at old film and breaking down the wishbone. It's like, mate, is this really the end result of that? It's just dire, absolutely dire. I mean, he's got to be one and done, I think. 
it's desperate. He's making Jason Garrett look like one of the best coaches in football. And if you watch the Giants' offense, you'll know what America wow. is. Wow. The ridiculous thing here is they're still top of the NFC East with a two. And four. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, imagine if they won the Super Bowl. Finishing <laughs> 5 and 11. What Washington, uh, I saw this this morning, are one game out of the um, of the NFC East and have That's the second worst record in football. Was it like, good Iron Tweet? Yeah, was it, it was a good Iron Tweet. There you go. Uh, yeah, is that brilliant, Harry? That's the thing, Liam. Isn't, isn't he wonderful uh, at his job? He was, he was still asleep when I was <laughs> banging out that content this morning. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> All the Jets hate. Uh, we endorse it greatly. Um, also on the list for the ugly this week is Mike McCarthy's former team, Green Bay. And I kind of I pushed talking about the Bucks out of our good section into this as well so we could combine the two because... Before we talk about Aaron Rodgers and his two interceptions in three throws and the, the Green Bay performance overall, I know you guys were both dialed into this game in a big way. And, and I'll come to Matthew first. Todd Bowles with a, a masterful defensive game plan. Yeah, I mean, he would have made me unsung hero, but everyone's singing about him now, aren't they? Like, <laughs> I've watched the books. I mean, me and Liam are big Todd Bowles fans as well. So Liam is obviously a Jets fan. And I think we accept that ultimately... I can't think of a head coach who's ever been paired with a worse executive than he was with Mike McCagden, probably because Mike McCagden might be the worst executive in the history of the NFL. So he's very much in the conversation with Matt Millen. So he's just really good. I mean, their defense played out of its mind last year with, with limited talent. And now the talent level has gone up as well. And, you know, some of that is good on the personnel side. Like Shaq Barrett was always a good player in Denver and they've brought him in to Tampa Bay and he's certainly gone to the next level. And Domigan Sue is playing better than he's played since Detroit, I think, probably. So it is a talent, but he's, he's so good schematically, Bowles. He was, it's easy to forget just how good he was in Arizona before he got the Jets job. And yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I really think if, if, Tampa's, if Tampa's defense is going to be like it is right now, which is on kind of all-time great trajectories when you actually dig deep into some of the numbers, then the Bucs are going to be a really hard team to beat and Brady might well win number seven. Just picking up, I think it was meant to be a Packers negative and you've turned it into a Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles loving. So ask me about Todd Bowles. <laughs> I'll discuss the Packers just, just briefly. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's where we're really going with this. I just wanted to make sure that we gave Bowles the love that I think that performance of course, deserved. Of course. But, you know, you look back at that draft and free agency period now and 13-3 and three obviously waxed by the, the 49ers in the NFC Championship game last year. They clearly needed more people to help Rodgers and take that step on and haven't really seen it over the first four weeks of the season, but... The, the depth was very evident that they, they've lost Lazard, they lost um, Bakhtiari in this game. And the first two draft picks, Jordan Love and AJ Dillon, Jordan Love's obviously not seen the field. AJ Dillon's had 13 rushing attempts. You know, they've not got anything from the players in the draft that they needed to really for them to be able to compete with the best teams in the NFC, like Tampa Bay. The thing is, Rogers, this performance, I, and I'm, I, this is really where Matthew needs to come in because uh, I can't tell whether he was on a full-on wind-up about Simon Clancy, who might be... I, I've never known a man to be more dedicated to his own team to a point where it's very difficult to get him to say anything negative unless they've just lost, in which case you can't get him to say anything positive. Yet his love for Green Bay and Seattle because of his love of the quarterbacks might rival almost any other fan I know in the UK's fandom of their own team. And when Matthew dared to suggest that Green Bay were maybe charlatans, like they definitely were last season, it was met with uh, 
a suggestion that it was the biggest overreaction you'd ever heard. So, Matthew, justify why you think Green Bay could be. This could be the proof that they're not actually a very good team. Well, I mean, it's proven out in the teams that they've been so far. When I, what's interesting is I, I saw a video, an Action Network video, where someone predicted this by, you know, we all looked at Green Bay. They were four and zero. They kind of rolled over all of their opponents and thought, yeah, they look they look a little bit different. But actually. They've beat the Vikings, who have won one game. They've beat the Lions, who are the Lions. They've beat the Saints, which looks like a great win, but the Saints are not very good this year. Forget what they have been in the past. The Saints are not very good. The Saints could easily have lost virtually every game that they've been in this season. Very fortunate to beat the Chargers in their last game. And then they've beat the Falcons, obviously, in the end of that Dan Quinn era. So in reality, they'd beat up on some pretty bad teams. Rodgers looked really good doing it, and I still think Rodgers, over those four games, played as well as I've seen him play in a number of years. But this game was a carbon copy of last season. They play against a good defence. Rodgers looks completely off. Uh, He doesn't have enough weapons, but also the reality with Rodgers is the reason his interception stats are so good over his career is he doesn't put the ball in harm's way very often. Now, that is not always a bad thing, but I would say... There are times against great defences where you have to make the play. And he didn't do that in this game. And this loss began and ended with Aaron Rodgers. The two picks were, were, were bad. And that changed the game. They looked in control weirdly at the start of the game. And then the other issue is their run defence, which was shambolic last season. And has been bad all the way through this season so far. And you just feel like they're very good, what we've seen in the last year and a bit, of beating up on the bad teams. Like they'll do that really well just because of how good Rodgers is. But we've seen also that as soon as they play anybody decent, they don't just get beat, they get humiliated. And I think that's the problem. And I was needling side massively on Sunday, but that point is an important one. Really, really good teams do not get humiliated like this. You can, you can have an aberration game, and this is their first one of the year. But let's so let's have a look at their schedule. And frankly, I don't see any other teams. Maybe the 49ers can do it to them again, because we know that Shanahan has Mike Pettin's number. But yeah, they've got a schedule that 49ers and the Titans, maybe the rest of the teams, I would expect them to beat, including the Bears, who were way more overrated than even the Packers are. So yeah, they'll go 13 and 3 again and they'll get humiliated like this in the playoff game again. That's what they'll be. Delightful. Well, let's go full circle then. We started off with the, some AFC love for the depth of it. One team that a lot of people were getting very excited about over the first three or four weeks was the Cleveland Browns. They came down to earth with a massive thump on Sunday uh, as they got absolutely whacked by the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, they've got the Bengals coming up, which maybe is a, is the best possible comeback game for them. But I think we start have to start talking about Baker Mayfield and and whether he is the solution to a team that beyond the quarterback is starting to look like a viable NFL football team. Yeah, he's he's regressed from that rookie season in back to back years now. I mean, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, has done a really good job of of scheming up ways to play to his strengths. You know, with play action, getting him on the bootleg, screens, RPOs, that kind of thing, which is fine when you're ahead in a game and you're able to run the ball on teams and your defence is holding up. But the two times they've lost uh, week one against Baltimore and Sunday against the Steelers, they were 24-6 and 24-7 down at half time. So they've had to turn to Mayfield and ask him to be a, a pocket passer and, and sit there and, and make plays. And he's dead last in the league in yards per game, under 190 yards a game. He's holding on to the ball too long when he's in the pocket. He's taking sacks, um, despite the fact he's now playing behind a really good offensive line. And I feel like Cleveland are one of those teams that 
they may well make the playoffs, but they're going to be held back because when they play these good teams like the Steelers, the Ravens, the Titans, they're going to get in a hole and they're going to have to turn to Mayfield and say, do something. And I'm not sure he can do it. He hasn't even played well in the wins, Well, He was really bad against the Colts. I mean, he was the only thing that kept them the Colts in that game. I can't emphasise enough how bad it is to look bad in this offence when your running game is working. The whole offence becomes impossible to stop if the running game works, if you've got a half-decent quarterback in. And I say that, having watched Matt Schaub execute the offence for a number of years to a high level. Like, it, it doesn't look good for him, to be honest. You just have to... If the running game is ticking in this offence, you have to be moving the ball down the field with chunk players off the back of it because the, the players are just guaranteed to be there. That's just the nature of the beast. As soon as those linebackers crop up, there's space over the top of them time and time again. And that is this, you know, the, the stretch run offence and the Shanahan offence that, that is being deployed here. So it's, yeah, I think we have to start asking the question as to whether he's going to be a bust, to be honest. So the, right. men, the mental Sorry. side's quite interesting because obviously when he came out and he was in this rookie year, it was boombastic Baker Mayfield, I'm going to say what I want, I don't care. And now he's suddenly Baker Mayfield, I'm holding my tongue, I'm not going to say anything at all. So it doesn't seem like he knows almost what he is in himself and what he wants to be. He's he's sort of struggling with the NFL and kind of that side of things, which, as you say, Will, the, the mental side is massive. Right, let's get into our likes, dislikes and unsung heroes of the week. I'll come to you first on this, Liam. Uh, something we've not discussed on the show that you wanted to point out from this week. Uh, I will go for my unsung hero and you will love this, Willie, because I'm going to go for a San Francisco 49er. Daniel Brunskill uh, playing against guard against Aaron Donald, converted from a tackle to a guard. This is only his eighth game he's played as a guard. The 49ers gave up only two pressures the entire game. And clearly the offensive line has been an issue the past few weeks, but Brunsker was brilliant, you know, often one-on-one against Aaron Donald, who had his number last year. But this time he seems to play a really good game. He, he made a, a key block on the Debo Samuel um, touchdown. And I love the Shanahan scheme. I love Mike McDaniel, the run game coordinator. And to have someone like Brunskill, who has learned a new position basically this year, play so well against the NFL's best player was, yeah, really deserving of some credit. Matthew... Yeah, I mean, on the books, who I thought put in the performance of the week, you know, all the credit and all of my focus often goes on the two linebackers, to be honest, the inside linebackers. But the secondary was great, and they've found a couple of young cornerbacks. Jamil Dean had an incredible game, really good for kind of the second week running. I think he's just in his, his second year in the league. And, and, and that's those two Auburn cornerbacks for them have been the, the fines of the season for Tampa Bay. That's why their defence has ultimately been so good. They were brilliant against the run last year as well, but you felt in every game they could be got out in the secondary, but the secondary has been outstanding because they've found a couple of young cornerbacks there. And yeah, like you say, I think the books are increasingly looking very, very dangerous. My, uh, my like and my dislike fold into one this week, so I'm just going to do them as one. My like is... 46 rushing attempts. That's how many times the Kansas City Chiefs ran the ball against the Buffalo Bills. The fact that after a bad week, they came out and just completely game plan to, to beat the Bills at what they should be in theory good at. And then on the other side of it, for as much as we've given the Bills love early in the season, and, and I'm a Sean McDermott fan, as I know Matthew is, and I'm sure most of us are, the defense looks really undermanned. And the last couple of weeks, they've had a couple of really bad games. And it's just something that I think is worth keeping an eye on as the season develops. Their pass rush just isn't getting there at all. They've had lots of injuries at linebacker. They're still missing Matt Milano, who I think is a big, big miss for them. But yeah, the last three or four games, there's just been a real, real struggle on that side of the ball. Now they 
they get the Jets this week, so it's basically a week off. But then beyond that, there's <laughs> there's a lot to be said for having some tough games coming up where the defense is going to have to make a, a big, big step up. We've done an unsung hero from you, Liam. Were there any likes or dislikes you wanted to throw out as well? Yeah, my like was kind of quite similar to to Matt about Tampa Bay. So I'll I'll just briefly mention Justin Jefferson, who in a stacked receiver class is looking like perhaps the best of the bunch. I know they were playing against the Falcons and a lot of it was kind of garbage time stuff, but he's fifth in yards in the league now, despite being 37th in targets. There was Everyone was talking about the big three in that receiver class, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, and Jefferson was the fifth off the board. And as good as Diggs has been in, in Buffalo, it looks like they obviously used the pick they got back from Buffalo to select Jefferson. It looks like that has been a a massive benefit to them. And, you know, the Vikings aren't going to go anywhere this season, but he looks like a really positive thing going forward. He's stylistically so similar to Diggs as well. Like, yeah. it's just crazy that they've essentially traded Diggs and found it a younger version of them. It's just, that's a bit odd. I actually think the Falcons' performance this week deserves a little bit of love on the back end because they've got healthy again. Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen back. Dion Jones back, who had an absolutely barnstorming game against the Vikings this week. You know, AJ Terrell, the rookies missed time as well, and they all played well this week. So just as a little side note, in fact, maybe the Falcons' defence should be my unsung hero of the week. I was going to throw out as my unsung hero, and this is a really kind of nerdy one that basically came off the back of being asked about why DeAndre Swift has turned things around in Detroit. And I started to look into their offensive line and they have had all sorts of problems on that line. And yet they've got Terrell Crosby, who's coming as a surprise starter and ended up being really good. Taylor Decker hasn't let, has allowed zero sacks and uh, has not basically allowed any pressures through the first five games of the season. Frank Ragnow's been brilliant. And they've had this guy, Matt Nelson, who's a converted defensive lineman who ended up having to take 46 snaps at right tackle on Sunday because of injury problems in game. Had an absolutely brilliant game. DeAndre Swift had 116 yards on the game. So my unsung hero is Hank Fraley, offensive line coach of the Detroit Lions. Truly unsung. Like Great name. Great name. <laughs> it sounds like a spoonerism. It sounds like you've turned Frank Haley into Hank Fraley. But no, that's actually it. Did anyone have any other ones they wanted to throw out? Uh, bad. Cam Newton played terribly. I've like, watched the game back. He was awful. I blamed the receivers on Sunday, but he was he was terrible. Did you see? Can't emphasise enough how bad he was. Did you see that Cam kind of half threw him under the bus after the game, essentially saying that the read on that play is based on where the corner is, and he said it requires the wide receiver and the quarterback to read the play the same. That's all I'll say. I agree. I agreed with him on that play, though. He, 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 Harry completely, uh, completely, kind of didn't understand the leverage of the play. But I mean, if we're talking about leaving players out on the field, there are several where both. Harry and Baird were wide open and Cam was looking at them. It was just weird. He held onto the ball so long. I think that rounds us off then, boys. We started off with some Patriots positivity. We ended up with some Patriots negativity. That's all we want. Yeah. Top stuff. Now, as always, go and check out. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to like, subscribe, hit the little bell as well to make sure that you get notifications when we post stuff. We're trying to do more and more good work on social, as the wonderful Harry has been doing, Liam. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> you want to check out the stuff we do there. We do the Waiver Wire report as well, which has got some really good traction. And, and Pete Rogers, who joins us for that, is really good. Uh, and of course, go rate and review this show on uh, on itunes or whatever podcast platform you use spotify because it does allow more people to see it on their weird algorithms etc so uh, if you could do all of that that would be lovely thank you very much otherwise matthew liam top work you've been watching slash listening to the gridiron show
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.